Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. The rumor train continues. Tom Brady, football player, if you don't know who he is, and supermodel Giselle, we know that they are divorcing. It was announced official last week after rumors, but possibly for a different reason than was initially believed or compounding reason. I'll be interested to talk about it. The rumors is that it has to do with political differences. He wants to run potentially as a political candidate, has had a relationship with with former President Donald Trump, and now DeSantis from Florida, and his wife Giselle, who's much more on the liberal side, is not jiving with the new aspirations of her husband, Tom Brady. So it does make me ask this question, can a marriage work with different political and religious views? We'll talk about that later on during Trending. If you have a thought on that, I'd love to hear from you. The number is 1-888-914-9149. And by the way, joining me in just a moment will be Melanie Hempe. She's the founder of ScreenStrong.com, talking about taking back your lives, your children's lives from screen addiction, navigating those difficult things with everything from screens, social media, phones, video games, when and how to implement them. If you are struggling or a member in your family struggling with how to navigate screen use, please give us a call. Melanie's excellent at helping solve these challenges in the home with real guidelines. The number is 1-888-914-9149. You can always ask a question on social media. But where I'd like to start the conversation today is about that season. Perhaps you have a child who's getting ready to start applying to university and head off next fall to college. Now, one of the challenges that I've seen um, having worked, so I worked for a couple years in student life in our student life center uh, at a small Catholic university, and I was fascinated to see what was happening on campus with gaming and the impact that playing video games was having on the students on specifically the male students. We would see dealing in student life with various issues that a lot of the students who were overusing uh, specifically video games were skipping classes, failing out of classes, had next to no friendships other than the arguable friendships that they had with a person sitting side by side with them, zoning out at a screen and staying up all night and not sleeping for days until they beat the game. One of the best people to talk about this challenge of dropping out of school or failing and floundering 
as a gamer entering those call into those college years is Melanie Hemper. She's the founder of ScreenStrong.com. She actually has her own story why she launched the work that she does today because of her own story with her son who ended up eventually flunking out of college because of video game use. Melanie, welcome back to Trending. I would love for you to share your story and how you navigated and got to this point of challenge and what you advise parents to do with this whole idea of whether or not their gamer will survive college. Yeah, thank you so much, Timory, for having me back. And I just love talking about this topic because it is something that most parents are like very embarrassed about, right? So we don't want to think that we are raising boys that are not going to launch well and thrive, especially in a college or university setting. And so you're right. This is exactly my story. Um, I have four children. My oldest, Adam is his name. And we had no clue what we were doing with the video game thing (laughs) when he was coming up. So our story, very quickly, I'll just tell you, uh, he was a great kid. He was Um, very involved with our family. Um, In middle school, he got a Game Boy. Do you remember what those are? The little handhelds, right? Yeah. And so he got a Game Boy. And I thought, oh, look how cute this is. And the teacher said, oh, it's really helping his hand-eye coordination. And I thought, huh, (laughs) that's kind of weird. But anyway, so they got to bring them to school and they made a big deal about them. And then he went on into more video gaming in middle school. And Timory, the thing that started happening that I didn't realize was such a problem is he started dropping out of all of his other activities. And that was during a time in parenting when we were all told um, not to overschedule our kids. So I thought, oh, well, if he doesn't want to go to baseball or piano or try out for the school play, then that's okay because I don't want to overschedule him. And so he stayed home and he played more and more and more video games. So he developed this really annoying habit where he was gaming all the time. The game was certainly his number one activity of choice. And all through middle school, this happened. I I did this. I didn't know I was doing it. But it, it was very, very, very sad because I was creating this huge addiction in my child that I didn't know what was happening. By the time he got to high school, they gave him a laptop. This was a big problem. Um, so now he was gaming at school. And I would go and talk to the um, counselor at school, and I would say, what's happening? <laughs> He's gaming at school. And I remember walking down the hall and seeing all the boys just sitting there during their break or during lunch, and they were all playing Call of Duty and Grand Theft Auto. And I thought, there's, there's something wrong with this. We're, they're, they're, they're gaming, and it's school, and why is this happening? And so all through high school, Timory, it got very difficult. If you're, and if you're a parent listening, you know what I'm talking about. If you have a gamer son in your house, um, it's very, very uh, difficult to raise a child who is a gamer. And I mean a dependent gamer. It's not like, you know, Adam could take it or leave it. This became his thing that he did all the time. So what happens is they start trading all their family time for their game. You know, it's your sister's birthday. Adam, can you come upstairs? No, I'm on my game. Mm. Adam, it's dinner. Can you come up? No, I have five more minutes. Adam, it's Christmas. Can you come have Christmas with us? Oh, my goodness. And I remember one Christmas I even went down and put Christmas lights on his computer. Like I, I even have a picture of that. It's crazy. And I didn't know. I just thought, well, he's getting smarter. He's getting, he's learning code. He wanted to be a game designer. You know, all these things that they say. Of course, none of it was 
true. And so, Timory, I could not wait for him to go to college because I knew he was going to break the habit and he was going to enjoy his college experience like his dad and I did. So he went to college and guess what he did? He played video games the whole time. So that whole first year, he stayed in his room. He said the first semester he went to a few classes. The second semester, he figured out that he could just stay in his room the whole time and play games. And when we went to pick him up on his last day of school that first year, we could not believe what we found. We walked into his room. Everything that we had left at Christmas was literally in the same place. In his How many room. months later or weeks later? It was, yeah, it was December to May. Oh and my goodness. He, he looked like he hadn't showered. He looked like he was on drugs. I asked him, Adam, are you on drugs? No, mom. World of Warcraft did something to me. The game that he used to play, he said, it, I haven't been out of my room for a week now, not even to eat. And he oh. was very, he was very rattled. It was very scary for him even. And we drove home. I could not believe it was like everything that I had been so frustrated with over the last previous, like, six years was all making sense now. It was all making sense. And he had a problem. He came home. He did not finish his classes there at school. He was just wanting to stay home. He didn't know what to do with his life. He was very depressed. And he said he was, he just kept telling me how depressed he was. And, you know, I think now I know what was happening when he, the, the, the whole pull of that game really scared him at that point. And so when you start to go through withdrawal symptoms as a gamer, when you start getting off your drug and the dopamine starts to plummet and everything's trying to regulate, you get very depressed, which is why it's very difficult for parents to deal with this, this issue in their home. Because if they say, okay, I'm going to put limits on it, then their kid starts to go through withdrawal and they get depressed and they hate their parents and they say terrible things and it just disrupts the whole family. And then Timory, I, I have three other kids too, right? We have four. So it caused all this trouble in our home and everything was about Adam and we're walking on eggshells all the time. You know, it was a very terrible way uh, for a childhood to be played out. It was, and Adam would tell you today that he had a terrible childhood mm -hmm. and that I'm not proud of this. We've made our peace and he actually went into the military for five years. That was the best thing because he had lost all his motivation. And we're talking about a kid who had seven AP classes going into college. He was in an engineering college. He was very, very bright there. And, you know, a lot of bright kids get hooked on these games. But what I, but what I really want to say today and what I want to really nail is if you have a gamer in your house right now and you've got their little, your little radar up and you're thinking, you know, I don't know how he's going to do in college because, you know, maybe he's a senior, maybe you're looking at schools. You know what? If you have a little feeling in your heart that he may not make it, then you do not need to send him because it is a waste. It is a terrible year. Um, if you are having to set the kitchen timer right? To get him off. If you're having to do his life skills for him, if he can't do his laundry because he's playing his game all the time, if he's in the mode of the spiral of just gaming is his world, then he, he just doesn't need to go to college. You're going to have to get that fixed before he goes to school. And you don't want to pay for school 
when your gamer, when your son is just sitting in his dorm room gaming. It is so common. This right, has been right. said to be the number one reason why boys drop out their first year. Well, and I think the challenge is, Melanie, is that a lot of parents will think, well, okay, I hear this. I'm recognizing it's a bigger problem perhaps than I realized, and maybe I need to reconsider uh, sending them off to college next year. But many will then argue with themselves and say, well, I don't want my kid to get behind. You know, that that's always the argument that I find so many parents make, whether it's, I don't want them to get socially behind because they don't have a cell phone or social media yet, or I don't want them to get behind academically because they're delaying a year of school. But the, the truth of the matter is, if you have a better formed and better functioning child, the better they will perform in the long run. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, the reason why parents want them to go on to school and, and I know I may step on some toes, but I'm just saying you're done. You want them out of your house. Now, it's hard to understand that when you have a baby, right? But by the time they hit 16, 17, 18 years old, the way the way all this works is that they're supposed to launch. And, and if you have a gamer who is 17 and they're living in your house, this is getting under your skin and you just want them out. You just want them out because you know that if they can just get to college, that they're going to do better. And I'm here to tell you that is a bad assumption that is not true most of the time what you see is what you get if they get behind listen adam got behind we lost a year right he didn't go to his classes he didn't have that full experience that he should have had so i'm just warning the parents out there that if they think that their child is going to change and all these things he's going to wake up the first day that he gets on campus and start you know acting like a different person that's not going to happen what you see is what you get. So if you feel like he's going to be able to do all the things that he needs to do to, to be independent and to make it in college, then go, let him go. But if you have a feeling that, oh my gosh, I don't know how he's going to make it. You know, if this gaming is the only thing that puts him in a good mood, if he, if he gets in a bad mood when you take him off, if his use is increasing over time, if he's sneaking around and and you don't even know what he's even doing on his screen half the time, right? Or if it's interfering with a job or other friendships or your relationship, then you're in trouble. And by the way, every high school kid, if they don't have sports, they should have a job. They should have meaningful, purposeful activities. And video gaming should not be their number one hobby. Mm. That you is know, a warning. It's interesting because um, Jim's listening right now and he just shared, you know, maybe 15 years or so ago, I bought a PS2 when I took a year off from college, was addicted and played all the time. When I went back to college, I brought it with me, but sold it after a semester because I knew it couldn't, I couldn't make wow. it through college with it. And, you know, that's really good. You know, he, he saw that yeah. he wasn't going to continue, but not everyone will. Like you're saying, if they're in this routine, this habit of gaming, they're not suddenly going to be able to show up to school and cut it off with this newfound freedom. It will likely be the opposite. So my question, yeah. Melanie, is how do you help your kid now, whether they're in college and that's them, they're failing, or they're in your home st still, they maybe have a year or two left of college, they're starting to look at applying for colleges. How do you take the steps to detox from video games so that you can have a functioning child and child going out into you know the school yeah. academic sphere alone in college? Well, that's a great question. And, and, and just for a second about the PS2, you know, it's one thing when you have a console, but now all these games are 
directly on their laptops that they're taking mm -hmm. to the classroom at college right. and they're on their phones. So yes. you can't get away from it. And that's kind of the big problem. So the older the child, the harder it is. So if you have uh, a freshman right now, I would wean them off of their video game right now, like a, a, a freshman in high school. If you've got like a, uh, a sophomore or junior, I would look very seriously into the detox that we have on our website. And um, in fact, we have a new connect membership area on our site specifically designed to help serious parents, parents who are serious about doing the detox, you know, with their kids. And we have Dr. Stacy coming in. She's a MD. She's a psychiatrist and she's coming in on the 16th and she's doing a live Q&A for parents. So this is going to be the first of many that we will do on um, our ScreenStrong.com org website it's screenstrong.com or org either one gets you there and join the connect membership area and we are going to help you through this detox we have a 30-day digital detox available in that community a lot of parents are coming in on our facebook group of course and now we have this other very very private non-social media community that we're very excited the fact of the matter is you're going to have to do something what's working right now is not working. Um, I did write a little book about this. You can get on Amazon. It's Will Your Gamer Survive College? I would get this book and read it with your kid. It's very short. Will Your Gamer Survive College? It has our story in here. And then I give all the reasons how this happened Excellent. and the tips mm -hmm. to how to get out of it. So those are some quick things to tell you, but you're going to have to do the hard work. It's Excellent. hard, but and it's not impossible. And Melanie, this is so helpful because I know a lot of parents say, I know it's a problem, I'm avoiding it, but you're yeah. telling me, okay, this is where what it can turn into, but this is what I can do now to change it. And this is why I love your work. You can find Melanie Hempy at ScreenStrong.com. She has full video game, social media, technology detoxes to help your kid get to a place where they were functioning and thriving. So check out ScreenStrong.com. She has a whole community of parents, people, advisors, psychologists, MDs working to help a guide and navigate these challenges with regard to screens. Now, don't go away because we're taking your questions. Are you struggling in your household with how screens, social media, phones, video games are being used? Give me a call. The number is 1 888 914 9149. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation 888 914 9149. Are you struggling with how technology is being used in your house from screen, social media, phones, video games? I've been there. I'm there at times. Maybe you, your child, are struggling. It's disrupting your patterns, your behavior. Let's talk about it. Melanie Hempy, the founder of ScreenStrong.com, is with me today to take your questions about navigating, detoxing, working through those behavioral problems with your children or your own bad habits when it comes to how we are using our technology. Okay, I've been posting on social media asking questions, um, letting people know we're taking this, and a lot of people have come in asking questions. Um, one, one person, Ben, on Instagram said, I heard a study that points to parents and their technology use and how even if the kids aren't using technology that the parents technology use is impacting their children he said i'm trying to find a new mode of operation in my home what would you recommend in terms of finding that balance with how my child sees me using technology melanie i'd love um, to hear your thoughts on this question 
Yeah, I love that question. Um, so you're absolutely correct. Our kids mimic what we do, right? So they actually pattern and mimic, and we they don't even know that they're doing it, but they copy what we do. So what I recommend is that you still use your technology, of course. You have to use it for work and whatever you have to do, but that you're very mindful about when you're doing it. And this has really helped a lot of people. A lot of people think they have to be on their social media, for example, just streaming 24-7 every minute of the day. When parents um, come in to our workshops and we talk to them about, hey, why don't you do 30 minutes in the morning? Well, then again, you know, after the kids go to bed, and maybe there's a little section during the middle of the day that you can look at it. But it is not a constant stream of notifications. You have to turn your notifications off. You have to, you know, turn this green off sometime. It's not that you get rid of it all the time, but it's that 24-7 streaming that is causing so many problems. And there's certainly a lot of things during the day, a lot of times during the day when you pick your kids up from school, the minute they get home, you know, dinner time, breakfast time before they go to school, all those times should be completely screen-free. Uh, you should absolutely not be paying attention to your phone. So it's not a matter of, um, us being screen free, we're not a screen free organization, but we're screen strong. And when you're screen strong, it means that you know how to use your technology at an appropriate level, that it's not all the time. You know, we used to talk to people about this all the time with uh, email. Remember, Timory, when we'd say things to people like, you know, just don't check your email every minute of the day, just check it in the morning, check it in the evening. Like, you don't have to check it 24 7. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest tip for that. Yeah. But you're, yeah. you're exactly right. And they're also you also have to be very careful about using your phone in the car because your kids are going to be watching you. And then when they start driving, they're going to do exactly the same thing. So if yes. you can just remember that, you know, that, that you modeling this really good use uh, may save your kids one day, you know, from getting in a car wreck. So it's very serious. This is a very, very serious issue. This is not a parenting thing that's just somebody's opinion and, you know, it's just kind of the flavor of the month. That's not what screens and kids, that's not what this is. It's a very serious issue, and we need to take it a lot more serious than we do. But I love that question. Excellent, excellent advice. And I was even just thinking about how I've seen this with my little girl. You know, she's almost two, and she, we don't do screens with her other than FaceTiming family that is far away, and mm -hmm. I try to make sure that doesn't happen within a few hours of bedtime. And it's interesting to me because I started to see her get uh, a little more triggered, have a little more of a tantrum if she grabbed my phone and I took it away. And I notice that happens more so when maybe there are a busy few days or a couple weeks where maybe I'm you know, dealing with something and having to be on my phone more. And so she's looking at me like, well, why can't I have your phone? You have your right. phone. And so, right. you know, it, it just seems very logical to her. Well, you keep grabbing this, so why why can't I grab it too? The same idea, like if you're going to keep eating that food in front of me and tell me no, well, why can't I eat it too? And it's just yeah. that simple, I think, to the little kids. Oh yeah, they want everything that you have. So if you're drinking a glass of water, they want to sip, right? They want everything that you have in your hand and you have to be very mindful of what you are doing on your technology. And the fact of the matter is none of us need to be you know, none of us, I hate to say it, but none of us are that important that we need to have constant 24-7 access to this thing. There is a time, and there is a place. It's not all bad. There's certain things about it that are really, really good, but nothing is good 100% of the time all the time. Nothing is. Like, you know, you, you have to take that into consideration, but your kids are watching you like a hawk. So I know when they get a little bit older, when your little girl gets a little bit older, you will start saying things like, you know, okay, I'm answering an email for work. Like you start telling them what you're doing 
on your phone. Um, but if they know that you can't put it down, then it doesn't matter what you tell them. They are only going to watch what you do, right? And so you can tell them all day long, oh, well, you, you know, you can't have a phone and you, you shouldn't get on your phone and whatever, but they're watching you do this. If they're watching that you have no control over it. And this is what happens with gaming. You know, as a dad, you can't tell your son, you can't tell your middle school kid not to game if you're gaming every night. If gaming is your choice activity right now, then you can't turn around. I mean, you look very hypocritical to him. And, you know, you are an adult. You're allowed to do things that they're not allowed to do. But I, I'm going to tell you, if you're a, a dad out there and you love to game, game after your kids go to bed. Don't game in front of them. This is very difficult for them. And it may be difficult for you, too. There's a lot of a lot of adults that are addicted to video games, not right. just kids. But we had to be really aware of what it looks like to our kids. So that's really yes. a lot for us yeah. to think about. And speaking of dads, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. Melanie Hempy's my guest, the founder of ScreenStrong.com, helping to take back your lives, your kids' lives from the technology use and addiction, tantrums, bad habits that are occurring out there. We're taking your questions, one 914 on how to navigate screens and technology use, detoxing, whatever that question might be. Um, more questions are flooding in. Melanie, Jan on Instagram says... He has two kids. One is better at being moderate when it comes to video games, YouTube, etc. How do I address my daughter who has an attitude about regulating time on screens? Yeah. So if you have two kids and one of them is sort of okay and the other one really isn't, then you're going to have to just kind of go the cold turkey route. So if you have a child who is allergic to peanuts, then you're probably going to have to take peanuts out of your house, right? Because it's going to affect... You know, even though the younger one loves peanut butter, you, you just can't have peanuts in the kitchen because the one who's allergic is going to get sick. So you have to look at it as a family affair. It's a family. You're on a team. Your your team is your family. And mom and dad, y'all are the coaches. And you have to do what's best for your team. There really isn't a very, uh, very good science around uh, moderation. So I know we, we say that we can balance um, things. And we can. We can balance things that are not addictive. But it's very hard and actually it's, it's not very wise to try to balance things that have such a high tendency to be addictive. So I'm all about balance too, but, but we balance good things. You want to think about that. So if you have one child who's really struggling, one child who isn't, just like if you have different age children in your home and you go to watch a movie, you have to uh, get a movie with a rating for the youngest child in your house, right? So that's what you have to do with this type of screen entertainment. And if you have a child who's really struggling, it's really cruel to, uh, you know, have it available just because you think one child can handle it and one child can't. So I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that came no, across that's, right. That's very helpful. And I appreciate the analogy, too, of understanding, okay, one might be doing okay with it, but the other's not. And the other, especially when they're younger, really might not understand why the kid who's doing better with the moderation can have it, but they're being told no. Uh, yeah. Isn't that the challenge of meeting, you know, each individual temperament of your child where they're at and balancing it. And I think that's sometimes the hardest part of parenting is that each kid is so different and it's easy to want to treat the younger kids the same way you treat the older kid who, you know, might interact with things in a very different way and have a different level of responsibility and self-culpability. Um, yeah. More questions. Okay. If you have your question, one eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. 914 uh, 
Here's one from Jay. He wrote in and he's asking, is there a difference between watching TV on an actual television before going to sleep as opposed to using your phone before you go to sleep? Recently, I put my phone away on the other side of the room and have watched TV to get to sleep, which has worked. This is a great question. We were actually talking to Dr. Stacy about it recently. I know she works there with you, Melanie, at ScreenStrong.com, and she was saying there's a difference between active and passive entertainment, and then a TV further removed from us can be passive entertainment, so it's a little easier to fall asleep, even though it shouldn't be used as a means to get to sleep. But when we have a handheld device and something so close to our face, the brain, the body's reacting in a different way, so it becomes more of a sleep inhibitor. Can you speak a little bit more to that? Right. So the small screen is going to have a lot more and a lot more intense blue light that you're going to be exposed to. So your brain is waking up whenever you see this blue light. And then what happens is it triggers the serotonin. It actually increases the uh, cortisol in your brain. And when you have increased cortisol, then you have lower serotonin. And we need more serotonin when we're trying to sleep at night. But screens that are smaller are typically more interactive, right? And they cause more damage. So a TV... While you don't want to spend five hours glued to your TV, of course, that's just a waste of time, the TV is not as interactive because you're not touching it and swiping and, you know, your phone does something and then you respond back. And this is what a video game does. The game does something. You respond back and forth and back and forth. And that's what our phone does. Our phone does when we're even on social media. You scroll and then you like and then you scroll and then you touch. And then that's the way it's designed. That is how the whole thing is designed. It's designed to keep our attention and so your brain becomes very stimulated in the area of your brain, in your limbic area, the mid-center, the mid-section of your brain, wakes up. And it can go into fight-flight. Well, you really can't go to sleep very easily when your brain is in fight-flight. That's why it's not good to play video games right before bed. And actually, it's why boys stay up at night many times when their parents are snoozing. You know, their parents are snoring in the other room, and they're up till 3 o'clock playing video games because it's really hard to go to sleep when you're playing a video game. And that's the way the game is designed. If you want to put a movie on or a show or something at night to relax to and you're in the bed and your TV is sort of across the room and you can do that to unwind a little bit, that's very, very different. Now, some people would argue and say, of course, that's still going to be hard to go to sleep when there's light in the room. And, you know, to get a pure uh, sleep hygiene going, you want no light in the room. But honestly, watching a show 30 minutes before you go to bed probably is fine. It is it's going to do the exact opposite when you have this, the, the phone in your face when you're trying to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's funny. We don't have a, a TV in our house when we were getting ready to have our daughter and we're moving into our new space. I hate the idea of um, having a TV front and center in the home. I think it kind of sets us precedence that this is kind of a go-to form of entertainment mm-hmm. and activity mm-hmm. as a family. And so mm-hmm. my only open space for a TV was going to be right smack in the middle of everything. I said, no, let's just get rid of it. You know, our daughter's coming. Yeah. You know, it's a distraction anyways. Yeah. So we've gotten rid of it. But it's funny because, you know, if we really want to watch something, you know, my husband and I will just whip out the laptop. But ever since I heard about the difference between active and passive watching and the close proximity yeah. and the smallness of the screen i'm now he he's cracking up because i'm trying to move the laptop further <laughs> and further away from us and you further know that they, they love the big screen and right in front of them so it's been that little I challenge know. for us now 
Well, and I want to just say one thing. We got to remember that, you know, the screen entertainment like video games and social media, these things are not mandatory. So I want people listening to really understand that this is not necessary for your child. And we're not talking about going back in time and just forgetting about technology. That's not what we're talking about. There are certain things that are just not mandatory. Watching a TV show together like the World Series is on right now and my boys love baseball. That's a really a, a good family bonding activity. So as your kids get older, you know, Timory, this is something that you can enjoy together. You can co-view. That's very, very, very important. People should never be in a room by themselves, lonely and isolated on a screen. That's very depressing. But one thing I'll recommend to you, especially with a two-year-old right now, if you have an old TV somewhere that, you know, doesn't need to be a smart TV, that you can pull out and you can show DVDs on sometimes. So you might have like the Little House on the Prairie series or, you know, one of the fun series that you can do as a treat on Friday night and we're going to have a family movie night and we're going to all enjoy. There are so many classic movies. There's so many wonderful, wonderful classic movies out there that we really have enjoyed and we've really taught a lot of life lessons through with our kids when they were, you know, young and in middle school and even in high school. It's really a fun thing for us to do. Um, So DVDs, though, are the best because there's no ads. You don't have all the distractions of all the things that happen on a computer. So if you've got middle school kids right now and you're listening, this is a huge tip that you can still enjoy classic media entertainment, but do it on a DVD and it will make all the difference in the world. Because you, you just won't get as addicted to it. Right. And it doesn't have to be a DVD. You can still have it digitally. But the point is, you know, keeping it simple to a movie rather than a show yes. and everything else that comes along with it. Because not everyone's that old school Melanie. I don't know if all my siblings even know what a DVD is anymore. I know, but you can, <laughs> um, we can still get them. We still can get And all I'm saying about the DVD is... Because it doesn't continue to keep going. Yes. Like you can't binge. The on next DVD. episode, the next episode. Yes, yeah, that the next makes episode. Sense. I agree. If you have the control, if, a, if you have the remote control in your hand and you can hide that and your kids won't get hold of it, and because they will figure out your password, they will get on. And two or three hours later, you're realizing they've just watched six episodes of the psych thing or whatever it is they're watching. That is the difference. And um, I even have some young families in our group right now who they didn't grow up with DVDs, but buddy, they are finding them. <laughs> and it's just it's just a good solution for young kids when you don't want them to, you know, go from a Netflix streaming situation over right. to YouTube, right? Because all of our TVs are smart TVs and you're opening up that whole problem. Okay, so I'm getting ready to go into this new season. My daughter's about to be two, and we really had a really strict rule about no screens before two other than occasional FaceTime and, you know, looking at a photo of a family member at least a few hours away from bedtime. But, you know, when she was two, you know, looking at some of the studies, you know, a little bit of like a movie, not a full movie. I just think it's inappropriate for a two-year-old, to be honest. Um, we're, we're talking about, but I'm hearing, Melanie, different people talking about the difference between animation versus illustration. I know a lot of people prefer uh, older school illustration, like um, Peter Rabbit, something like Charlotte's Web, because there's a difference in terms of how the game chemistry responds to that. Yes. Could you speak a little bit to that? Yes. Yes. And so what we're talking about with the older, like Mr. Rogers, for example, is a very good example of the perfect screen change interval. So uh, SpongeBob, on the other hand, is a very good example of the phonetic change. And so there's a screen, there's like screen changes every three seconds, you have a, a screen change, right? And that's not good for your child. So if you think of Mr. Rogers, you think of he was just the most brilliant producer because he produced in real time. Things were very slow 
and yet kids could keep up with it. Now you and I, you know, we can't stand it, right? Because we're adults and we don't want something to move that slow. But that is the pace that kids need to see things. So that's really what it's about. And there's a lot of research on that. You can Google and research about screen changes, about even the SpongeBob um, study. There's a study out there when they did use SpongeBob and they showed that kids who watched, you know, X amount of minutes of that, they did worse on their cognitive task right afterwards. And it's because it's not suited for them. So I would just say that co-viewing is always best. I would say that um, cartoons are okay, um, but not a lot of them. And I would also say that all these things can become a gateway drug, if you will, to what's next. And so again, we are not saying it's all bad, but we're saying that it's sort of the precursor, right? So once your, your kids start getting used to certain types of animation, then they're going to want more and more and more. So you just have to be aware of that. And then once they start playing a video game, even if it's even if it's a learning game, it is still a precursor to what you're setting them up. Like you're saying, hey, we value this, and so we're going to let you play this. Well, where does the line get drawn? At what point? And this is this is just much harder. Um, this is why we had a game-free home after we uh, really failed our oldest son and. We were not able to, uh, you know, really help him, you know, that he had gotten this big addiction going on. And we, and we just, we did it. It was our fault. It wasn't his fault. We gave him this video game, right? If you're a parent and you're paying for the internet for your kids, then you're responsible for this. Your kids are not responsible to raise themselves. And so once that happened, we realized what happened to Adam. We decided, hey, you know, we're going to enjoy some wonderful media over here, but it is not going to be gaming, and we yeah, so just want our kids yeah. to learn how to do games in real life, board games, lots of sports. We do lots of board games, lots of puzzles, lots of interactive board games, if you will. But it's very, very different. And so they don't really care about it. You know, mm -hmm. it's not a big deal. And, and something I'm learning, Melanie, as a newbie in terms of being a parent is not to negotiate with your kid. You know, right. the kids are experts right. in negotiating. Right. And I mean, yes. my kid's only two, but boy, do they know how to negotiate uh, soon. But having that firmness and by that firmness and your own confidence, even if it's upsetting to them, your confidence helps instill confidence in them in terms of the decision you're making for them, even if they don't like it. And so I think with the screens, we really have to be confident. The research, the data is out there and it's yeah. clear. And I love what you're doing at ScreenStrong.com, Melanie, because you help lay it out make it clear, help with yeah. detoxes to help parents have that confidence. So that's Melanie Hempies from ScreenStrong.com. Please check out her work, her resources. She wrote a book, Will Your Gamer Survive College? An excellent resource if your kid's starting to look at college. We are talking about that earlier if you need to catch the podcast. And answering a lot of the questions that you might have with navigating these challenges from social media with kids to video games to your own technology use. That's ScreenStrong.com. I'll be right back today on Trending. We'll talk about shocking audio that NPR played this week of a woman having an abortion. I my I was in tears. I had to listen to this two times just in preparing for today. I'm not going to play it, but I need to talk about the reality of what's happening with abortion and how blunt the conversation has gotten. Also, does marriage work with different political and religious views? Tom Brady and Giselle, rumors about other reasons as to why they're divorcing are coming out, and that's one of them. I'll be right back here on Trending. 
You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Something happened yesterday on NPR. They broadcast the audio of a woman having an abortion, the machine turning on, the woman moaning and groaning, uh, the sound of the suction, her crying, um, the sigh of relief at the end. It was horrific, um, something I wish I never had to hear. I listened to it this morning, and there were some details from the from the audio that I needed to watch again. My sister was in the room, and I said, you know, I've got to go in the other room. I've got to go listen to this audio. I don't want you to hear it. It is so ghastly. If you do want to hear it, I posted it on my Twitter. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Uh, this woman in Michigan... Uh, her her identity is not revealed. Uh, goes through this with this abortion at eleven weeks. Eleven weeks. I listened twice to the audio of a woman who, in just a minute or two, because that's how short uh, some of these abortion procedures are in the earlier stages of pregnancy. Um, she lost her child. Her child was brutally murdered inside of her womb. And they had the audacity to play the audio of that national, on, on NPR, on National Public Radio. I could not believe it. And, you know, whether you're pro-abortion or pro-life, my immediate attitude was, I don't think anyone wants to hear that. I think about all of the women, and maybe you are one of them, who has ever had an abortion. And the pain and the horror and the trauma and the reliving of that memory that that must be. And I want to emphasize that there is hope and there is healing after abortion. And if you have had an abortion, hopeafterabortion.com, that's hopeafterabortion.com. We'll post the link now on social media. Uh, Hope and healing is available. Moving past the wound of abortion, uh, it is so important that we help with that. And it's also important from a pro-life perspective. I know sometimes it's hard and upsetting to know that someone um, participated in abortion, had their own child sentenced to death. Uh, It's really hard sometimes, but if we can also recognize through offering that hope and healing, it helps to reduce the number of babies who will be aborted one day, the number of women who will again experience the loss of a child because the vast majority of abortions today uh, are actually repeat abortions. So we decrease the abortion numbers by helping with healing. And after all, that is what women deserve because it's not just the baby, but it's the woman who goes through the horror of an abortion. Now, I did want to talk for just a moment. This audio, and again, I posted on my Twitter at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. I am dead serious when I tell you they actually had the audacity on NPR to broadcast the audio of a woman having an abortion. I was horrified. I was in tears this morning listening to this. This baby is 11 weeks old. You can hear the machine turn on. I'm thinking about how developed that little baby is. That little baby boy or girl can turn his head, can frown, can hiccup at this stage of development. This baby can even suck his or her little thumb. You know what? I had an ultrasound at eight weeks. And you know what I saw? Baby's mouth moving open and closed. You know what else I saw? Baby pulling her hand up and down to her mouth. Now, Grant, I didn't know my baby was a girl yet. 
but I saw that baby moving. Not only did I see her hand moving up and down to her mouth, I saw her keeping her fist at her mouth and her jaw moving up and down. In other words, what was she doing? She was sucking her thumb. This little personality, these little activities of a child that is so small, so incredibly small. We're talking about just a little bit bigger than the size of a quarter and through incredible ultrasound technology. This is what we know of the child in the womb. I have always thought that the greatest injustice to the unborn and why we allow for abortion to take place day in and day out is because there's no window to the womb. Although we have incredible ultrasound technology, there's no window where we can see the babies. It gets bigger and bigger each day or throughout the day or as the baby's moving around. You know, I'm 33 weeks pregnant and I can feel my kid, goodness, practically doing backflips and sitting in the most uncomfortable position possible right now while I'm talking to you. But I can't see her. I can feel her. And other people can't feel her or see her. But that doesn't make her less than. Just because my daughters wanted and that 11-week-old baby who was aborted, whose abortion, whose death was literally broadcast on national public radio this week, just because that baby wasn't wanted gave no person the right to share literally with you and I the sounds of that baby's life being ripped to pieces. What have we become I almost can't even think, like, truly, like, the emotion in my voice right now, just thinking about the reality of what abortion is. Why have we become so desensitized? Why? How could we allow this to get so far? You know what? I look right now, I look at the state of California, Proposition 1. If that proposition, an amendment to the state constitution, passes, a state that already has very permissive abortion laws, if that passes, we will see unfettered access to abortion at any stage in a woman's pregnancy and absolute access to funding for any person's abortion, including people coming in from out of state. We will see the same thing if Proposition 3 in Michigan passes. And Proposition 5 in Vermont, if you or someone you know lives in this state, and even if you don't know someone, we need to blow the whistle on the truth of the reality that whether you are pro-life or pro-abortion, the common sense abortions that are already present in California, Michigan, and Vermont need to stay in place, and we do not need to give unfettered access and, and an open check to the state government to fund abortions, because we know whether you are pro-life or pro-abortion, that abortion kills a baby, doesn't matter if that baby's wanted or unwanted, that abortion does kill a baby, and abortion hurts women, and no one should have to pay for that through their tax dollars. And women deserve better than being given unfettered access to abortion. I am sick of young women being told that they need access to contraception and abortion in order to have an education, have a career, or start a family on their own terms, or keep their body looking the way they would like to look it to look. Where have we gone? I This really just set me off when I heard that audio broadcast from yesterday on NPR of a woman having an abortion at 11 weeks. 
I think that if anything, the pro-abortion movement is doing an injustice to um, their own cause by being so graphic and blatant. Abortion is evil, and we can't forget that. It's common sense that abortion is wrong. Please, I beg you, stop being afraid to tell that truth. Stop being afraid. If there was someone standing in front of you holding a gun to a five-year-old's head, I'm pretty confident you would do something. But we often do nothing when that same exact thing is happening with a different instrument by someone wearing a lab coat and through the consent or seeming consent of the mother. It's the same thing, just a different stage of development, a child that's even more dependent than a five-year-old and even more vulnerable. We need to have courage to speak up. We need to let go of our fears and anxieties of people disliking us, of people criticizing us, of people even being angry. And yes, actually, to let go of our fear of even people being possibly violent. And I'm not saying to go and put yourself in a dangerous situation, but stop making this about us and allowing ourselves to be quiet. Stand up and speak boldly. And trust, are we not people of faith? Do we not believe that the Holy Spirit goes with us and that God protects us and guides us to speak the truth and even in physical safety? We need to do more. And this coming week is a major week when it comes to elections. Even if you're not in a state where abortion is being written into the state constitution, if these amendments pass, Again, we need no votes. We're calling for no votes in California on Proposition 1, in Michigan on Proposition 3, in Vermont on Proposition 5. Not only would this allow for unfettered access to abortion, complete funding for abortion, but also the way they wrote these laws, and this is how diabolical abortion is. They've also written this to have a broad term when it comes to reproductive freedom and individuals. It would also open the door. We've been talking about this here on Trending. We'll post some links in the episode notes for today's show. But we've been talking about how the language used is so grim that it's not only working to make sure that any common sense protections for minors and parents' rights are there. So in other words, most some states... And most of them in here in the United States actually have laws that a child, a minor who wants to have an abortion, needs to notify their parent, not even necessarily have permission from the parent in order to have an abortion before they can have that abortion. Well, Michigan, California, Vermont, if these amendments to the Constitution pass, would remove any notification that would go to parents. And guess what? Because it's blanket terms about reproductive freedom and individual rights, these would also open the access for minors to actually go without parental consent or knowledge to start taking cross-sex hormones if they identify as something other than what their biological sex and physiology indicates what their chromosomes tell the truth about. It would even allow for a minor to go through with a sex change, top surgery or bottom surgery. Again, cross-sex hormones, hormones, puberty blockers that are doing irreversible damage. This week on Trending, Abel Garcia joined me. He's a young man, 25 years old today, who a handful of years ago went through with a so-called transition, receiving cross-sex hormones and top surgery. His body has been damaged. Parts of his body are atrophying. There's a long-term impact to what was done 
through these so-called medicines and so-called rights that we're trying to write into state constitutions. We need to vote no on these propositions and we need to stop being afraid to tell the truth about the damage that's being done to children, babies, and women. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Coming up is a family rosary across America. Let's pray that Proposition 1 in California, 3 in Michigan, and 5 in Vermont do not pass.